This sermon is brought to you by Christ Church South Philadelphia, a church that is committed to living out the gospel in their neighborhood and from there impacting the world. For more information about our church or to support our mission, you can go to www.ChristChurchSouthPhilly.org. Happy New Year. What a joy it is to begin another new year. And to begin the new year this morning, we're actually going to be looking at a passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 5. So you can go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. And if you're here this morning, you don't have a Bible with you, you can actually just raise your hand, and we have someone who would love to get a Bible in your hands. As we um, study God's Word this morning, we really want you to be able to have that in front of you. Because these aren't my words, but this is really God's Word coming to us this morning in 1 Corinthians. And as we, as we begin this new year... As a pastoral team, we really felt like we should just pause for a few weeks and really stop and reorient our lives to what God has given us. And so we're going to spend the next three weeks of this new year um, with a series that we're calling New Year, Same Gospel. Timeless truth for changing times. As we go into the new year, with all the challenges that we're going to face, we want to be reminded That it isn't something new that we need to help us, but something old. And that is the gospel. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, is called in the Bible the very power of God. It's not just what someone comes to believe when they become a Christian, but it's the very power of God that sustains the life of the Christian. And as we begin this new year, This is the very power of God that we need to be reminded of and focused on. And so while the gospel is something that we embrace when we become a Christian, we actually never move on from it. But we need to be empowered by it throughout our Christian lives. There are no gospel graduates here at Christ Church. We are forever in its school, under its tutelage, learning more and more what it means to experience the power of God through the gospel in our lives. And so what we need for the new year is the same gospel. So we're going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1-5. through So follow along with me as I read. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas and then the Twelve. May God bless the reading and now the preaching of His word. For those of you who don't know, I actually um, took a job about a year and a half ago for a coffee company called Vagrant Coffee. Now, when I started working at Vagrant Coffee, they asked me in my interview, how much do you know about espresso? Now, like anyone in an interview, I um, answered that probably not quite the way that I should have, but I had worked at Panera Bread previously, and we had espresso drinks and quote-unquote baristas, And so I said, yeah, I know a lot about coffee and espresso. 
And often, we don't know what we don't know. And I quickly learned that by, even in the first few minutes of my training, that I had, I really learned quickly that I had no understanding of what espresso and coffee really were. And so this morning, to start off this new year, I'm going to give you a quick, free-of-charge tutorial on how to pull a shot of espresso. I didn't bring any equipment with me, but I'm going to walk through the process of pulling a shot of espresso with you, and I will help you understand why we're going to do that. So the process of, um, of pulling a shot of espresso is called dialing in the espresso. If you mess up any of the variables that come along with this, it ruins the whole thing. So here's some of the things you need to have to have a good shot of espresso. First, you need to have the proper water temperature. If the water temperature is off, it's going to taste terrible. Next, you have to have the right weight of grinds that you're going to be using. Now, this is so specific that when you're pulling a shot of espresso, you actually weigh it by grams and not ounces. Speaking of grinds, you're going to grind the beans at the proper coarseness. If the beans are ground too fine, it's going to make the espresso extract too slowly. But if you grind it too coarse, it's going to make it come through too quickly. Which brings us to the next variable, time. If the espresso is extracted too quickly, it's going to make the drink sour. But if it's extracted too slowly, it's going to make the drink overly bitter. And so what I learned quickly is that when making an espresso, there are lots of ways to go wrong and mess it up. But if you combine the right water temperature with the right amount of green, grain, grinds, sorry, the proper coarseness, and the right amount of time, then you have an amazingly delicious experience that will quite, quite literally fuel your day. And just as a quick aside, just so you know, if you're ever going to buy a, a drink and want some espresso in it, just so you know, there's no X in espresso. It's espresso, not expresso. So that also is free of charge. Um, so friends, this morning, as we come to this passage in 1 Corinthians, I think we're going to find that just like a shot of espresso, there are lots of variables in the Christian life that can cause us to sour or grow bitter. But when we are dialed in by the gospel, in the midst of all the variables in life, God creates balance and beauty that will fuel us to be all that God is calling us to. See, with espresso, it's the barista that must dial in the espresso. And in this life, as we begin a new year, we are going to be reminded in our text this morning that we need to be dialed in by the gospel. And as we come to this passage in 1 Corinthians, I think it's helpful to give a little bit of backstory as we get into the text here. See, this passage in 1 Corinthians is almost at the very end of Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. And here in chapter 15, Paul says, For I delivered to you of first importance. Now, if we were in a series going through 1 Corinthians as a church and came to these verses, it would shock us. See, Paul had just spent the last 14 chapters pretty much continuously correcting the church in Corinth. Here's just a few of the highlights of how he needed to correct this church in Corinth. For one, they were being divided 
they were dividing themselves into factions based on who baptized them. So there was division in the church just based on who was the person who baptized them. There were people in the church suing one another. Talk about a divide. We, we think about being, living in divided times. Talk about a divided church. There were people in the church suing one another. There were literally people getting drunk every Sunday, taking communion. They weren't just taking little cups of wine. They were drinking wine to the point where they were being drunk at church. They even had all kinds of convoluted ideas about spiritual gifts and used them in ways to demonstrate their superiority over one another. So because I have this gift, I'm better than you. Or because you don't have this gift, you're a lesser than Christian. These are the issues that were going on in this church. And it was so bad that there was even a man in the church who was romantically involved with his stepmother, and the church did not do anything about it. Felt no need to address it. See, this church's issues were extensive. And yet, as we come here to chapter 15, Paul makes clear what he delivered to them as first importance. Those issues, they were bad, they needed to be dealt with, but they weren't the most important thing. No, at the end of the day, they had one main issue. They had stopped keeping the main thing, the main thing. And so I've entitled today's sermon, being dialed in by the gospel. Dialed in to the gospel. And I think through this passage this morning, we see that it's the gospel that dials us in and directs our lives. See friends, as we enter a new year, we need to be reminded that in all the excitement and resolutions that we're going to make, or maybe already have made, that what we need most of all is to continue staying rooted in some old news, the gospel. And so this morning we have just two points. First, we're going to look at dialing in, and then second, we will look at directed lives. So this, the first point this morning, dialing in. And as we look at this passage in 1 Corinthians this morning, we're actually going to work through the passage backwards. So we'll begin at looking at verses 3 through 5, and then we'll come back to the beginning of the passage in the second point. As we think about being dialed into the gospel, we have to think about what the gospel actually is. You see, the word gospel literally means good news. And the good news this morning is that, that we must be centered on is that Jesus died for our sins and then three days later rose from the dead, defeating sin and death. And we live in a world where the news cycle is constantly changing. And there's nothing worse than old news. To be old news is to be irrelevant. And we're a forgetful people. And with the news cycle constantly changing, what seems significant today is often quickly forgotten. As I was thinking about this idea of old news being quickly forgotten, I thought it'd be fun to go back and look at some of the big news items that were happening in January of 2022. So go with me back a year and we'll see how many of these we really remember and have been affected by. But last year, on January 14th, Netflix, I don't know if any of you have heard of that small company called Netflix, but they announced that they were raising their prices. And I'm sure if you're like me, you don't even remember that that happened. And probably, not only do you not remember that that happened today, but you probably had already forgotten that that was a thing by February when they started charging you more money. 
Another news item that happened last year in January that I find kind of humorous. Some of you might not find it as humorous. But on January 5th of last year, Goldman Sachs projected that they believed that Bitcoin would more than double to over $100,000 a share within the next five years. And for those of you who do follow cryptocurrency, you'd be well aware that in the last year, instead of steadily increasing, Bitcoin has gone from being worth $43,000 all the way down to $16,600. Who would have known that investing in fake currency would be a bad idea? But anyway, that's just, that's just that's my thoughts on that. I'm going to talk to you more about that afterwards if you have questions. But on a sadder front, in, in January of 2022, both the beloved Bob Saget and Betty White passed away. And I'm sure this was sad news for many of us, but I doubt that many of our lives were changed dramatically by this news. See, friends, we live in a world that is fascinated with the latest news. But then we quickly move on from it. But here this morning, we have something much greater that should capture our attention and fascination. The gospel. What many would consider old and outdated news never loses its relevance. And Paul highlights this for us in verse 3. He says, Christ died for our sins. Here, when talking about Christ's work on the cross, Paul includes himself. He doesn't say Christ died for your sins, you people who are messed up. No, he says Christ died for our sins. See, here, even in his grammar, Paul is loudly saying that he will never move on from the fact that Christ has died for his sins. Friends, isn't it so easy for us to move on from the fact that Christ has died for my sins? And I think we need to just slow down here for a moment and see the personal nature of Christ's death on the cross. Christ didn't just generically die for the sins of the world. No, it was Caleb McCurley's sin that drove Jesus to the cross. It was your sin that caused Jesus to willingly go to the cross. Now, in the Bible, we see that the word sin means falling short of living for God's glory. A couple of quick examples in Scripture. James chapter 4, verse 17 says, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. 1 John chapter 3, verse 4 says, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. So sin is any way in which we fail to keep God's commands. Whether through what we do, or even what we don't do. So this means that sin is based on what the Bible says sin is, and not based on our own preferences. And here Paul says that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. See, Christ's death on the cross has been foretold to the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. In Isaiah chapter 53, we see a foretelling of Christ's death. It says this, But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. 
All we, have, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned, everyone, to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Oh friends, how often we take our sin lightly. We say, oh, it's just small things. It's, it's not that big of a deal. I'm not going to do it again. I just did it once. I'm not, I'm not going to keep doing this. And we make light of our sin. Friends, what Scripture is telling us here is that our sin is no light thing. Christ died a terrible death on the cross for my sin. Christ died a terrible death on the cross for your sin. It was my sin that crushed Him. And instead of allowing us to pay the penalty for our own sin, the Father provided Jesus so that we could be free of sin. Do you see, what, do you see why Paul says this is of first importance to this church here? How could anything be more important than this news? Later on, Paul would write another letter to the same church in Corinth. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, he would say, For our sake... He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus lived the perfect sinless life. Then took on our sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Friends, do you know that this morning? Not just intellectually as a fact, but do you know it experientially? Have you experienced the work of Christ on the cross for you? He who was perfect took on my filth, took on our filth. And in exchange, we get to become the righteousness of God. Furthermore, Christ didn't just die a death that was opposed on him unwillingly. No, he wasn't framed he wasn't tricked. He wasn't duped. No, friends, he went to the cross willingly, gladly, knowing exactly what he was doing and how much it would cost him. Why would Jesus do this? Why would he willingly suffer and pay the penalty for our sin? Why would God send Jesus to the cross? Couldn't God have just start it over? Wipe, wipe the world out and start it again with people who weren't going to screw it up? No, God the Father willingly sent Jesus, God the Son, to the cross because he had made a promise all the way back in the first book of the Bible. Genesis 3, chapter 15 says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Here, God is speaking to the serpent. And we see that this verse is pointing to Jesus defeating the serpent, the devil, in the fact that the serpent will bruise his heel. Christ's heel was bruised. They nailed his feet to the cross. But here God also promises that Eve's offspring will bruise the head of the serpent. Friends, obviously a, a blow to the head is much greater than a blow to the heel. And we can see that this blow to the head was Christ coming and dying and paying the penalty for our sin and defeating Satan on the cross. We see that Jesus' death is a reminder. And as we begin this new year, may we be ever reminded of this sweet reminder that God always keeps His promises. Pastor and theologian Sinclair Ferguson puts it this way. 
When you look at the cross, what do you see? You see God's awesome faithfulness. Nothing, not even the instinct to spare His own Son will turn Him back from keeping His Word. Praise God that He is a God who keeps His promises to us. But it doesn't just stop there. Friends, if Jesus was a man who had just died and paid the penalty for our sin by being the perfect sacrifice, that wouldn't have been enough. See, through His ministry, He had been making claim after claim, doing thing after thing, showing that He was God. He told them over and over again how He was the Son of God. This is the very reason that He was crucified. The Jews were upset that this person is claiming to be God. So if Jesus had stayed dead, that would have proven them correct. They would have been right to have Him murdered as a heretic. That He was just a liar. That he, Maybe He would have just been seen as a nice guy with some good principles to live by. But at the end of the day, just kind of a nut job who thought he was God. But instead, the validity of the resurrection of Jesus is Paul's closing argument for this whole letter to the church in Corinth. In in a few verses later here in chapter 15, verses 17 through 19, Paul says this, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people to be most pitied. But friends, praise be to God that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Paul expounds on this in the next verses that follow in verses 20-22 through when he says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For by a man came death, And by a man has come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all have been made alive. Furthermore, Paul says, as Christ's death was foretold in the Scriptures, so also was His resurrection. So he then backs up this argument that we have hope in Jesus because of His resurrection in Scripture once again. And so Paul points us Back to the Old Testament. He says, according to their scriptures, in a reference to the resurrection, not just one verse, but many verses. He's highlighting this theme that, that throughout the Old Testament, that the, God's people were looking forward to the coming king. Here are some examples. In Job, God, Job wrote, I know my Redeemer lives. In Job chapter 19, verse 15. David says in Psalm 16.10, You will not abandon your servant to the pit of Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. In Hosea chapter 6, verse 2, Hosea says, After two days He will revive us, and on the third day He will raise us up, that we may live before Him. And Jesus even affirms this Himself. In Matthew chapter, 20, in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus says, Just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days, so too will I go to the belly of the earth. And just like Jonah was spit out of the fish onto dry land, so Jesus was spit out from the grave. Friends, Paul's point here is abundantly clear. We can only have hope for the future 
in light of the resurrection of Jesus. This is why we're looking at this passage backwards this morning. Because if Jesus hadn't been raised, then there'd be no good news for us. Oh, but friends, what good news we do have this morning in the Gospel. Christ has paid the penalty for our sin. He has died the death that we deserve. And then raising from the dead, He has defeated sin and death on our behalf. Friends, this is the good news of the Gospel this morning. And if you're here this morning and you've not yet placed your faith in Jesus, I would urge you to do so before leaving here today. There is grace and forgiveness for you at the cross. There will be people up front this morning at the end of our service who would love to pray and talk with you more about what it means to place your faith in Jesus. And of course, Pastor Matt and I will also be here afterwards if you'd love to talk more about what this means. Friends, today can be the day of your salvation. Do not put off what God has done for you, but embrace that today. See, this, but this isn't just good news for those who have yet to place their faith in Jesus. No, this is good news for us as Christians as well. As we enter the new year, we don't need lots of new resolutions. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't make goals and assess ways that we need to grow in the coming year and how we hope to see God work in our lives. Of course, those are good things. We should, we should do that. We should take time to just think about how do we need to change But friends, our hope this morning isn't in ourselves and how we need to change. No. Friends, our hope for 2023 is not that it's going to be a better year than 2022. No, our hope in this new year is news that is over 2,000 years old. As Paul says in 1 Timothy 1.15, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Friends, this is our hope for 2023. This old, wonderful truth. That Christ has come to save sinners, of whom we are the foremost. This leads me to my second point this morning, which is directed lives. Going back up to verses 1 and 2 now, we see that Paul wants the church at Corinth to see that we never move on from the gospel. He wants them to see that their lives are directed by the gospel. To do that, he begins by reminding them how they first came to hear the gospel. Here in verses 1 and 2, Paul is reminding the church at Corinth the personal nature of his relationship with them. See, when Paul says in verse 1, I preach to you, he is reminding them that he has personally preached the gospel and established this church. In Acts 18, we find that Paul planted this church in Corinth, and then he stayed there. He didn't just plant it and then leave and say, good luck, guys. No, he stayed for over a year and a half, establishing a healthy and vibrant church. But as we've already seen this morning, this church that was once healthy and vibrant, now in 1 Corinthians, is quite dysfunctional. And this is a reminder as to why we must keep the gospel the main thing as we enter a new year. Like the church in Corinth, 
God has blessed us in some unbelievable ways. I think of our addictions ministry, Transformation to Recovery and Hope House, and how God is using that ministry to bring men and women out of the darkness of addiction into the light of the gospel. I think of our tutoring ministry at Kirkbride and how we are coming alongside that local school, building relationships with kids and families, and hopefully having gospel conversations with them and telling them not just about how they can get smarter intellectually, but about how the gospel changes everything. We continue to see baptism after baptism of lost people sharing about how they were reached through the power of the gospel. Friends, God is doing something great and mighty in our midst, and we praise Him for it. But even as we experience God's blessing and opportunities as a church, it is crucial as we go into another new year that we stay centered on the gospel even in the midst of these blessings. Now, there are lots of ways that we can be tempted to be centered on things other than the gospel. There are lots of things that we can think of where people center their lives on just obviously evil things. But I think a much more common error for us is to center our lives on something that in and of itself is seemingly good. But when we center our lives on it, we ask it to fulfill us in a way that it never can. For example, I'm a big fan of Sour Patch Kids. Like, a really big fan. Um, Sour Patch Kids are amazing. If you think otherwise, you're wrong. Um, And my family knows whether it's my birthday or Christmas or Valentine's Day or really any occasion that the best gift you can give me is a bag of Sour Patch Kids. But if I had a diet of just Sour Patch Kids, well, (laughs) that would be a problem, wouldn't it? Um, Sour Patch Kids are pure delight. Again, that's irrefutable evidence. Pure delight. But they shouldn't be the main thing in our diets. Maybe for you, your tendency is to be centered on work. Your passion and energy are taken up in your job. How successful you are is what defines you. I think a question to ask as we enter this new year is, am I being more defined by my status and achievements at work or by who the Bible says I am in Christ? Or maybe your tendency is to be overly focused on relationships and to find that the relationships that you have are really the center of who you are, whether it's family or friends. Obviously, relationships are a good thing. We spend a lot of time here at Christ Church talking about the importance of relationships. But when our human relationships with one another are the center of who we are and what we orient our lives around, reality is that just leads to conflict and disappointment, right? If we put our hope in another person, we're bound to be disappointed. And so maybe a good question to consider as we enter the new year is, am I more motivated to do what I know is God-honoring or to do whatever needs to be done to keep others happy and to keep my relationships without conflict? Friends, there are many ways that we can be tempted to allow our lives to be directed by something other than the gospel. And here in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is calling us to return to being gospel-centered. So to do that, we need to know how do we combat straying from from staying centered on the gospel? 
How do we keep the gospel the main thing? Well, I think here in verses 1 and 2, Paul gives us really three ways to do this. Three, way, three ways to keep the gospel at the center of all that we do. And so Paul's going to show us that by considering the past, the present, and the future, that in doing that, we can keep the gospel the main thing. So first, he considers the past here in verse 1 when he says, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received. Now, despite all of the junk that was going on in the church in Corinth, he is reminding them that they had indeed received the gospel. This isn't his cancellation letter to the church. He isn't writing them farewell. Sorry, guys, you're too far gone. This is my letter to you to let you know that I'm done with you. God's done with you. No, that's not what he's saying here. He's reminding them who they are. They had received the gospel. And he's pleading with them to stop wandering and wake up to the truth that they had already embraced. And now here we also need to remember that Paul is talking to actual people in Corinth. He says the word you eight times in these two short verses. Again, I don't think we can overemphasize the personal nature of this letter from Paul. This isn't Paul just getting on Twitter and tweeting about a church that he heard that went off the rails. This isn't him just saying that this is a church that has all kinds of issues that he heard about. And man, you know, hell with them, right? No, God is saying, or Paul is saying here that this is a church that he has experienced with his own Blood, sweat, and tears. He's invested in them personally. So when Paul says you in these verses, it's safe to assume that real faces with real stories and real redemption are coming to his mind. Oh friends, it is good for our souls to remember the gospel of which we have received. Matthew Henry says this, Come and see the victories of the cross. Christ's wounds are thy healings, his agonies thy repose, his conflicts thy conquests, his groans thy songs, his pain thine ease, his shame thy glory, his death thy life, his sufferings thy salvation. Oh, how easy it is for us to lose our sense of wonder and awe that we first experienced when we placed our faith in Christ. Friends, God does not ever want us to move on from that sense of wonder. That while we were yet dead in sin, that Christ died for us. That he made us alive in Christ Jesus. As we begin this new year, God wants us to be once again aware and in awe of what he has done for us. And not much stirs our faith like remembering how God has been at work in us in the past. And also for us to hear how God has been at work in others. And so we are to share our stories with one another of how we have seen that God is faithful, not just because we heard it preached on a Sunday that God is faithful, that God's a God who keeps his promises, but because we've experienced that. So we should be sharing with one another about how we have seen God at work and keeping his promises in our lives. Friends, if we're going to be a church and a people who remain centered on the gospel, we cannot afford to forget how we've experienced the grace of God in the past. But we can't just stay in the past. 
we need to also be reminded of how God is at work in the present. Which is why Paul says in verse 1, in which you stand and by which you are being saved. It's so encouraging that in the midst of all of the stuff that was going on in this church, all of the struggles and issues that he's been addressing, that Paul is not doubting their legitimacy of their faith. No, it's with confidence that he says in the present tense, in which you stand. I don't know about you, but there are days when I can look at my life and say, wow, I've really blown it. Friends, in those moments, we need to remember what it is that we stand in. Maybe you're here this morning and God's showing you that like the church in Corinth, you've wandered from living a life that is gospel-centered. Maybe you've wandered far from God. Maybe you've been centering your life on seemingly good things, such as family or work or even Sour Patch Kids. But even though you had good motives, you know your life isn't centered on the gospel. Yes, you were once centered on the gospel, living out your faith, actively pursuing your relationship with Jesus. But now, if you're honest, you know you have not been living a life that is centered on the good news of Jesus. If that's you this morning, just like Paul, I would remind you of the gospel in which you stand. Not in, which, not in the gospel in which you stood, but in the gospel in which you currently stand. The gospel is still good news for you. Yes, you may have wondered, but God in His kindness is calling you to remember the gospel and to return to Him. Not after you clean up yourself or pay some kind of penance. No, return to Him today. Come as you are and be cleansed in the perfect work of Jesus. I can't think of a better way to start a new year than by remembering and responding to that old precious news that is the gospel. We must be gospel-centered and remember that what defines us as disciples of Jesus is not what we've done today, but rather what Christ did long ago on the cross. This is why we often talk about needing to preach the gospel to ourselves each day. What it means to preach the gospel to ourselves is to remind ourselves that our hope is in the person and work of Jesus. Friends, may we continue to do that as we begin a new year. May we continue to remind ourselves day in and day out of the good news of Jesus and that that, that, that is what our hope is. Paul then continues in verse 2 and says, and by which you are being saved. Now maybe some of us have an alarm going off in our head thinking, wait a second, I thought we were saved once at conversion. Is Paul here arguing for a work-based salvation that we need to continuously be earning? Do we need to continuously be being saved? Well, as we studied this passage this morning, I think it's pretty clear that's not what he's saying. Right? He's made it very clear what the gospel is. So then what does he mean in verse 2 when he says, you are being saved? Well, I think clearly the by which in this passage is referring to the gospel. So it's clear that he's not talking about a works-based salvation here. Paul has confirmed to them 
the good news of the gospel and that they believe it. And he is now calling them to show that they believe it by the way that they live. When he says in verse 2, by which you are being saved, he is calling them to live out the faith that they say they have. Not because that's what's going to save them, but instead because it shows the evidence that they are saved. And I do think that this phrase is meant to be a warning of sorts, along with the following phrase, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. Which leads us to the last part of verse 2, and we'll close by looking at how the gospel is essential for our future. The warning that I think Paul has for both the church in Corinth and for us this morning is that while we do not have a works-based salvation, we're also reminded in James that faith without works is dead. And we see further evidence of this in that he says, hold fast. That implies deliberate action. Now Paul is calling them to hold fast to the word that he preached to them, the gospel. This is Paul making a plea to them that they continue to be gospel-centered. Friends, this is important for us as we begin a new year. We must continue to hold fast to the gospel. Paul tells them that they need to hold fast to this because the reality is, that's not our natural inclination. The hymnist says it this way. He says, Our hearts are prone to wander Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. It doesn't take much effort for us to begin to align ourselves to something other than the gospel. We don't have to actively think about how we're going to stop centering our lives on the gospel. No, we naturally drift away from the gospel. And so as we begin a new year, we must seek to hold fast to this good news. When I'm crossing a street here in South Philadelphia with my daughter, I have to tell her to hold fast to my hand. Because oftentimes, either she doesn't want to, or she's prone to be really distracted and not pay attention. But when she's at home playing with her toys, I don't have to tell her to hold fast to her toys because Andrew might come and try to grab it. No, she's well aware of that. She does that naturally. She naturally holds fast to her toys, knowing that he's going to come try to take it from her because reality is, nine times out of ten, that's what he's going to do. Friends, unfortunately, this side of heaven, we will never fully be out of the grasp of sin. We will be always, we'll always be in a place where we are vulnerable to ease our grasp of the gospel. And so just like a child crossing the street, we need to remember to hold fast to the truths of the gospel. Friends, as we begin this new year in 2023, may we be a people whose lives are marked by holding fast to the good news of Jesus. But not as ones who are the only ones holding on. No, because while we are called to hold fast to the gospel, we can be confident that God never loosens his hold on us. Just as my daughter Alice might want to loosen her grip on me as we're crossing the street, I as a good parent know that no matter how much she squirms, I'm going to hold fast to her, even as she tries to release me. 
And friends, we have a much more capable and faithful Father who will never let us go. Paul makes this clear at the end of this chapter in verse 56 when he says, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Friends, as we go into a new year, may we remember that in the Lord our labor is not in vain. And so it is. Being dialed in by the Gospel is marked by holding fast to the Gospel. Being steadfast and immovable. And knowing as we do so that Christ is holding on to us. Ensuring that our labor is not in vain. Friends, I'm not sure what 2023 is going to hold for us. I don't know what joys, what tragedies, what ups and downs that we're going to face in this coming year. But what I do know is that if we do not allow ourselves to be dialed in by the gospel, we will be prone to become sour or bitter by the difficulties of this life. So friends, as we begin a new year, let us resolve together this year to have our lives dialed in by the gospel. Let's pray.